This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 247. I'm Jake Letarski. You can find me on Twitter at RotoJake. As always, I am joined by John Litterine. You can find John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. Today we're going to make our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 247. That's John Bones Jones against Dominic Reyes. But uh, but first, John, it's been a little while since we've last talked. We last discussed Connor Cowboy. Uh, That one was a shocker for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people were really well that surprised that Connor won, but certainly how it happened. I can't really remember anybody employing the technique that Connor did. He essentially just tied up Cowboy's arms and smashed his jaw with his shoulder a bunch of times. And that really just threw off Cowboy's equilibrium and set in motion the sequence that ended exactly. the fight and i mean it broke his it's nose a be- yeah it's it's a best case scenario for the ufc um mm-hmm. you know cowboy's popular obviously but he's certainly not on connor's level nobody you know in the history of the sport has been um and it's really a best case scenario in the sense that they get that dominant dominant connor win that they were looking for and since mcgregor took no damage because the fight only lasted whatever how, however long it lasted um you know they could technically probably run him back out as soon as they want no medical yeah. suspension for him now the ufc UFC keeps saying they're going to, which I think, personally, I think this is stupid, but they keep saying, okay, we're going to wait for the Khabib-Tony Ferguson winner. Those guys aren't going to fight until April, so we'd be looking, if the Khabib-Tony fight actually happens this time, I mean, that fight's cursed, if that happens, and they're probably going to beat the hell out of each other, and then Cowboy, then we'd be talking about Connor returning like at the end, and I feel like that's a wasted opportunity if he wants to be as active. So I think, personally, Connor should fight Justin Gaethje during International Fight Week, and there's really no other way to go, but... We'll see if they see eye to eye. Yeah, I mean, and I have no desire to see really Connor fight 
Habib anyway if Habib wins defeats Ferguson I don't think that scenario would play out any differently than the first fight did the Ferguson a Ferguson McGregor fight might be different just because Ferguson tends to you know brawl a little bit more and stand in the yeah. pocket but um I have no real desire to see McGregor and Habib mm-hmm. yeah well and that's the thing like if he were okay so he crushed Cowboy if he were to beat Gaethje in similar fashion then I think you could start to talk the casual viewer into the fact that maybe Connor has a chance against Habib even though I mean, I'm with you, John. I don't think I don't think this fight goes any different the first time. I think that uh, Khabib wins in a very similar way. Nine times out of ten, if he doesn't get the tap, he gets the decision. Um, that that's that that's just how it is to me. But if Connor were to come out, flatten Justin Gaethje, land that big left, do something else, you know, creative like he did against uh, like he did against uh, uh, Cowboy, then then I think you could maybe start getting casual fans convincing themselves he's got a chance. Yeah, I mean, you know, it gets to the point where. Dana White said they were never going to book the Ferguson Habib fight again because it was personal mm-hmm. the tries, but it got to the point where both guys ended up beating everybody and they had to do it. If Connor just keeps rolling through everybody and there's no other option, they're going to make the fight eventually. But mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Gaethje thing is something. For some reason, happen. Connor fought Gaethje and lost. It's not like it would really deteriorate his value all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Both a couple. I mean, of It's awesome a big fight brawlers. regardless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any Connor fight's a huge fight. We definitely have that. And the funny thing that I wanted to mention is the only other person I've seen use shoulders like that is the guy that we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, like right off the bat in the show, and that's John Jones. But when John Jones does it, it's more he has the opponent in the clinch and he's directing traffic while they're right up against the cage. The opponent has the back against his cage. Then Bones kind of puts his feet back and throws the shoulders into it because he's got such a wide you know base with the shoulders and some pretty sharp shoulder blades but i've never seen that at the lighter weight classes so that's why yeah, it's i think it's certainly more impressive how mcgregor did it given just the size differential and the body types between mm-hmm. the two I, i've never yeah. seen a smaller guy do that yeah and credit to john cavanaugh too because i feel like that was something that he planned on using going in he knew that he was going to come out and throw the left and that uh cowboy was going to duck it but then he'd get into that position where he'd be able to throw that. And it, I just feel like he had a game plan and he executed it to a T. Certainly did. I mean, it, it you know, I, I we, uh, I'm not, certainly not shocked that McGregor won, but just, I, you know, given Cowboys, have, yeah. you know, everybody he's faced that happens so easily was a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I expected him to last a little longer. I obviously threw a bet out on Cowboy while I was in Vegas. Didn't work out here, uh, but you know, that's just me kind of throwing dart at, Darts at a big long shot there here. Uh, we've got some long shots tonight, but before we jump in, I do want to mention an awesome promo we are running with our friends over at ESPN+. Plus. If you've been curious about trying Rotowire, curious about trying ESPN+, Plus, now's the perfect time because you can try them both. Uh, if you sign up for ESPN+, Plus via the links on our site, we just hook you up with a free month of Rotowire. Simple as that. You know, that's full service, all sports, DFS tools, uh, get you everything Rotowire has to offer, whether you're trying to build lineups on the MMA optimizer. I saw that uh, DraftKings says a mini max where you get 151 dollar lineups and and we can definitely build up to 150 for you on the website so that's one thing we can do or if you just want to get ready for baseball season with our draft software or any of our other tools there uh anyway yeah all you got to do is go to espn plus or go to rotowire.com slash subscribe uh if you're logged in uh, or i mean if you're not logged in you can go there if you're logged in just click on subscribe now on the top right and then there's an espn plus promo down at the bottom first time users uh got to go through the links on the website but uh we'll hook you up with that free month of rotowire get them both and get yourself uh, ready to go to order ufc 247 again exclusive home of that is over on 
ESPN+. Plus. Anyway, like I said, John Jones, Dominic Reyes is the main event of the evening. John Jones will be making, what, like his 11th title defense against against Reyes. Uh, the salaries reflect the odds here. Jones is about a minus 440, minus 450 batting favorite. Come back on Reyes, of course, that puts you about, you know, plus 340, plus 350, that kind of deal. Uh, odds to finish on this one, minus 215. You got two pretty heavy hitters here, so uh, ideally someone's going to sleep here. And uh, light heavyweight title on the line here. John Jones is the second most expensive fighter on DraftKings at 9400 then you've got Reyes dirt cheap at 6800 um how do you see this one playing out John you know this is interesting I'm I I'm at the point where we've mentioned this before I think you kind of pretty much have to pick Jones in every light heavyweight fight until he loses but I've kind of talked myself into Reyes having a puncher's chance here and I don't really know if that's because I'm a big believer in Reyes per se or because of what happened in Jones's last fight. Um, he fought Thiago Santos last July and barely by the skin of his teeth hung on to his title in a split decision win. And um, the most amazing part of the whole thing was Santos fought that fight on one knee. Uh, when it was all over, he ended up having a torn ACL, MCL, PCL and meniscus in his left knee. Yeah, that's that's absolutely like, wild. Almost the whole entire fight, mm-hmm. and he almost won. You know, and so it just it makes me wonder if Jones isn't. You know, we all have this recent recency bias thing. It makes me wonder if Jones maybe isn't as invincible at at light heavyweight as we all thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was, and it's really hard to tell if it was a case of an off night for Jones or you know, a superhuman performance from Santos, you know, mm-hmm. which one was it? And if it was just an off night from Jones, obviously he's one of the, you know, top three or four, you know, greatest fighters of all time right up there. He could, I could certainly see a scenario where he comes right back and blows Reyes out of the water. Um, this on paper, at least I think is a pretty good matchup for Jones. Reyes is a pure kickboxer. He's a big, tall guy should be willing to engage Jones in that kind of distance striking battle that John excels at because of his long limbs. And, um, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how Reyes fares here. There weren't a ton of options for the UFC here. Um, you know, I really think I mentioned in my preview column, I think Johnny Walker was probably the plan. Um, and then he fought Corey Anderson in November and was knocked out really quickly and yeah i mean that Corey anderson smoked johnny walker yeah, johnny walker had was, some momentum and then he just ran into a wall that Corey anderson if he wasn't getting respect before certainly earned it with that one yeah that was the end of that so once walker got you know finished so quickly that, that was never going to happen so um look it's hard to say reyes hasn't really earned his shot you know he's six and oh in the ufc four of the six wins have come via knockout uh have come via stoppage um mm-hmm. he's been good he's tall he's six for four he's athletic he moves pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. He has good footwork. It, you know, this is a big ask. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, no, yeah. there's it's one thing to beat a to beat Chris Weidman, who's moving up in weight. Um, it's another to beat Jones. And the the crazy thing is, the two are the same height, six foot four, but Jones has a seven inch reach edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably going to play a pretty big part in a fight where at least Reyes is generally. Uh, content with standing and striking. 
Um, I think Reyes' best chance is to do a lot of what Alexander Gustafson did in the, his first fight with Jones mm-hmm. and just stand away and just try and land distance strikes. But the difference is Gus has two inches on Reyes as far as the reach. So, you know, negating a five-inch edge in reach as opposed to a seven-inch edge is a big deal. You know, two inches, you know, might not sound like that big of a deal, but, you know, when you're talking, you know, such a minuscule gap between fighters, two inches can be the difference between winning and losing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, how I view this, I'm going to take this a little bit from both sides here. John Jones, you know, after fighting DC, after fighting Gustafson, after fighting, even going back further, guys, you know, like Rampage, these huge, huge, massive fights, he's cleaning out the light heavyweight division. And part of me thinks maybe he's, you know, not necessarily getting up for a Tiago Santos, not getting up for a Dominic Reyes. And if that's actually the case, then maybe that's a little bit worrisome that Reyes would catch it. But on the other side of the coin here, John Jones is the most dominant champion, I think, of all time. I think he's the greatest fighter of all time uh, in my books. You know, the suspensions, personal stuff aside, I think he is the greatest of all time um but then you look at Reyes's record you mentioned the fight against Chris Weidman that was his most recent trip to the octagon you can kind of break down Reyes's record a little bit because the Weidman fight was a middleweight moving up to light heavyweight and then before that was an Ozdemir fight who uh I mean it was a split decision some people are pretty convinced that Volkan Ozdemir won that fight I know Volkan Ozdemir thinks Volkan Ozdemir won that fight uh before that Ovin St. Peru kind of gatekeeper in the division and that Jared Cannonier might be you know the best Uh, name on the Dominic Reyes resume here so yeah he's undefeated but it could just be a suspect or you know an effect of how shallow the division is but I don't think that record is really all that strong or maybe not even title winning strong so if you take that mixed with the fact that he's going against the GOAT um, the the pick is Jones here for both of us it's just a matter of like what if any exposure do you get to Reyes on on DraftKings and then really we'll go in this into this in a bit John Jones is the second highest priced fighter on DraftKings and the first is Valentina Shevchenko so you have to decide between those two most likely unless you want to use four betting underdogs in your DraftKings lineup and then yeah what if any exposure do you have Reyes. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think the one thing you, that also has to be mentioned is you, you just mentioned Jarek Hananier was probably Reyes's most impressive win, mm-hmm. but that came at light heavyweight, and all Hananier's recent success has come at middleweight. Mm-hmm. So I think that's worth noting too. Hananier yeah, didn't call. really take he didn't really take off until he dropped down to 185 pounds. Mm-hmm. So you know, I. I have mild interest in Reyes. I think that's a pretty, you know, re- 6800 is a pretty reasonable price. Um we'll get into uh you know, really cheap a uh, really another really cheap fighter in a second, but I would pay $100 extra for Reyes over Caitlin Chukagian all day long. You know, mm-hmm. that's I wouldn't even think about that for a second. So, you know, if you're the type, you know, if you really need if you have guys you really want to get into your lineup and you have to find salary relief somewhere. Um, you know, I don't think it's a Jones is like the worst play of all time. I could certainly see a scenario where he makes this fairly competitive. Um, we've seen Jones look at the Santos fight, the Gustafson fight. We've seen Jones go the distance and absorb a lot of punishment and still win. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, that would rack up some point, you know, that would rack up some DraftKings points for Reyes. So, you know, I, I don't think he's, he's a terrible play at his price. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I, I guess the salaries looking at it are probably about right. But, you know, I think Reyes probably deserves to be a couple hundred dollars more. Not much, maybe like ninety two hundred mm-hmm. to seven thousand, something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, I, I could see that, but you know, Jones is definitely going to get that name recognition boost like we talked about with Connor last week here, so so that has oh, something to do with it too here. Uh, for me, a stack isn't in play really at all, personally, just because I don't think Reyes can hit him, uh, maybe a little bit, but uh, so that's part of it, and then Reyes doesn't really have any offensive wrestling to speak of, uh, .39 takedowns per 15 minutes of fight time, and then you've got, again, the greatest of all time, John Jones, with a 95% takedown defense, so uh, that's he's not getting wrestling points, and that's seven inch reach advantage i don't think he's going to be able to hit him that much now ray is 5.03 significant strikes landed per minute bones is 4.3 but you know the caliber of competition in that bones uh i mean the majority of them have been title fights or title defenses so uh you know that number means a lot more coming from bones than it does for reyes so uh yeah a stack's out of play for me um out of a i don't know say i max enter the mini max like i was just talking about there or you or you know if uh, mr bankroll comes through or you know i get some inheritance this week and i decide to max enter the uh, one with a hundred thousand dollar top prize, I won't have more than a couple shares of Reyes just to kind of protect myself in the event the unthinkable happens. But really, I'd have no more shares of like I'm not going to be above the field on him by any means, and and that's just kind of how I see that one. But where we really start to debate here is when we get into this next fight, another fight here, the co-main event, uh, the women's flyweight championship, Valentina Shevchenko against Caitlin. Chukagian, Shevchenko, highest price fighter on the roster in this card, 9,500. Chukagian is 6,700. So, of course, effectively the lowest price fighter on the roster um, for this card. Uh, Shevchenko, minus 1,000, minus 1,100. When you get to numbers this big, there's a little more variance between sports books. Uh, the comeback on Chukagian, about plus 690. Odds to finish on this, plus 130. That's actually not too bad uh, for a female fight here. So, uh, the real question is, is I, before the show, I tried to put Shevchenko and Jones in together in a DraftKings lineup, and the rest of that lineup looks pretty ugly. You have to have a super strong lean on a lot of underdogs if you're going to try to use these both simultaneously. So the question I'll pose to you, uh, John, because I don't think we're going to differ on any of these picks, I'd be very, very surprised if anyone you know breaks a unanimous selection on Jones and Shevchenko when I put in the staff picks here uh, tomorrow morning. But uh, the question for you then is, there are $100 difference. Jones or Shevchenko, who do you feel more comfortable building a lineup around? Shevchenko, not even close. Mm-hmm. I and th- I hope this doesn't come back to bite me, but this I really think has a chance to be one of the most lopsided title fights in UFC history. This uh, I have just a really really bad feeling about this. And part of it is the circumstances. The UFC has built up a division uh, in their their women's following division where they have a dominant champion. That's that can be a good thing because um, they you can build a division around Shevchenko. Mm-hmm. The bad thing is there is absolutely nobody to challenge her. I mean, there is not a fighter in the division right now who you would say would realistically be able to give her a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- really think Shevchenko is probably one of the top five pound-for-pound fighters in the world at this point. And when you take into account the lack of depth in the division, she might be the most dominant fighter in the sport. Um, I, it just, It's really hard for me to get excited about Chukagian at all. Now, I know the results are good. Um, she has done enough to technically earn her title shot i guess you could say she's five and one in her last six fights but when you dig a little deeper it's not as pretty as that looks they've all come via decision 
they've all come against fringe competition. Jennifer Maya, Joanne Calderwood, Alexis Davis, Mara Barella, and Irene Aldana. You know, it's not exactly a murderer's row. Um, her one loss was a split decision against Jessica I. Um, look, I really, if you look at that, and that fight wasn't that long ago. That fight was just over a year ago. If you can't get by Jessica I, I really, really have a hard time believing you're going to be able to challenge Valentina Shevchenko at all. Um, I just, I am, I, I think this is going to be an absolute route. Like, I don't think this is going to be close for a second. Mm -hmm. Chukagian is a pure, I mean, a pure striker. She does. She's not a wrestler. She doesn't have much of a submission game. She has one submission win in her career and only two knockouts in her career. So she has takedowns in her career, just to kind of further your, your wrestling point there. 13 career wins, three via stoppage, 10 via submission. Like, I, I know, like, there were videos of her on UFC Embedded. I know she's training her jujitsu in New York City with the great, like, I know she's, like, trying, but I this is, and I, I know I've said this on here a million times. If you get, start, get into, start to get into a favorite who, in a title fight, who's up at minus seven hundred, minus eight hundred, minus nine hundred, whatever this is, a thousand, twelve hundred, whatever, the fight should not be happening. There should be a better option than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like I wrote in my preview yeah. comment. I think you're going to look at this when it's all said and done, and just say, you know, you're going to tell me there wasn't a better option than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing for with Shevchenko is that uh, you know they tried to bring Yoani and Jacek up to challenge her, you know, for that belt. That went Shevchenko's way. Shevchenko's tried to move up to challenge Amanda Nunes. Uh, that obviously went Nunes's way here. So those, so those kind of you know quote unquote super fights cross divisions that they could potentially consider uh, for these two. They're just not necessarily happening. So, uh, so that's why I think we're stuck here. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. This is this is pretty lopsided in the direction of Shevchenko. But uh, I guess to try to play devil's advocate for DraftKings uh, in the last fight for Shevchenko against Liz Carmouche, she it went a full five rounds. And she scored only 65 DraftKings points. And, and 65 DraftKings points most definitely is not going to pay off a $9,500 salary. Now, on the flip side, she's recorded 100 or f- and four DraftKings points or more in each of her other flights at f- each, excuse me, each of her other fights at Flyweight, which includes that matchup against Sinjacek in which she scored 109 DraftKings points. So you're hoping for either a finish, which is interesting because Chukagian has a 100% decision rate in the UFC. She's never been finished and she's never finished anybody. So, you know, if this gets to the judges, you got to hope that it's closer to that 109 point side than that 65 point side. But even that 109 point side is, uh, not necessarily going to get you – I mean, it'll get you a little bit more than 10x, but I don't know. You generally want to shoot for 12 or 13x if you're trying to win a GPP. So for me, that gives me a, a little bit of a, of a reserve when considering using Shevchenko and DraftKings, even though it's basically a lock. It's one free win. Yeah, I mean, you always have to be cautious – Whenever you use a fighter at such a salary, mm-hmm. anything could happen. Shevchenko could be blowing Chukagian out of the water the first four rounds. She could take one bad step, her knee could explode, and that could be it. So, you know, the, the, you always got to keep that in mind. And when you use a fighter at 9,500 or like Jones at 9,400 or whatever, mm-hmm. you're really banking your entire lineup on one fighter. If you mm-hmm. get it at that price, 
if you get one bad performance or one bad's not even the right word. If you get one non-dominant performance in the sense that it doesn't pay off at the rate you're expecting, you're going to have to hit, almost hit the jackpot on every single other fighter in your lineup, mm-hmm. and that's really, really hard to do. Yeah, I mean Shevchenko at, at 9,500. You know, I just that 65 points in her most recent outing uh, worries me a little bit. Hoping it's more like the Pris- Priscilla Cachero fight or something like that, where she can go absolutely nuts. But of course, Yamasaki doesn't have a job anymore. We can go down that whole road here. But yeah, so that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of a reserve with Shevchenko, and I feel more confident about Bones getting the finish, which is why I think. I'd be leaning towards Bones at that price just because I think he'll end up a higher scorer, even if Shevchenko has a slightly better, is more of a guarantee uh, lock to win in that case. And yeah, like I said, it's just tough doing both. I mean, I just I threw together a lineup here with those two, and then I ended up with uh, Bautista, Arroyo, Martinez, and Ige. So like no fa- no betting favorites after that, and left $0 in salary on the table. It's just really tough. You're going to have to take some massive underdogs there. But, okay, so that's kind of how we're going to we're gonna treat the first two fights on this card. I want to keep it moving. We have to discuss a heavy... we got a couple of heavyweight matchups to discuss, but first we'll jump into uh, Juan Adams against Justin Taffa. And uh, Adams is the favorite here, minus 245. Come back on Taffa, plus 205. Adams, 8,800 on DraftKings. Taffa, 7,400. Interesting fight for a pay-per-view. They probably didn't have a whole lot here, but I think they were just expecting fireworks. Are you, John? Yeah, I am. And it's interesting because this is a really weird fight to have on the main card of a pay-per-view. Um, Adams and Top are both essentially unknown fighters. Neither have been with the company very long. Um, there's just one win between them in their UFC careers. They've combined to lose three in a row. So it's really just a strange set of circumstances. But like you said... Um, they're both just wild, heavy hitters, which should result, you figure, in somebody mm-hmm. being knocked out. And um, I wrote, and I agree, I really, I think it's a good idea um, for DraftKings owners to get a piece of this somehow. Um, the odds of this lasting long are low. You know, I think there's an extreme chance this gets finished fairly quickly. Uh, the issue is, I really don't have much confidence in either guy. Uh, I ended up picking Adams, but you know it, it's you know it's no real confidence. So um, if you're the type to make multiple lineups, uh, I really would suggest probably getting a piece of both guys somewhere. Um, Adams has size on his side, six foot five, and he really you know pushes that 265 pound limit. He, yeah, he's a big. He probably has to cut to get to 265. Yeah, I, I, I would guess he does. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just. Uh, it, it, Try to get. I would advise on this one. Try and get a piece of both of them somewhere. Um, don't stack it. Obviously, if a fight's gonna end quickly, a stack's a terrible idea because some guys probably gonna end up getting nothing. Yeah, zero so stacks on this card for what it's worth. I, there yeah. well, hasn't been one where I particularly like. No, and uh, but yeah, try and get both guys in. I mean, same deal. If you know you have a bunch of favorites that you like and you're trying to fit some salary relief in somewhere and you want to put Tafa in at 7,400 or whatever. I don't have a problem with that trying to get Mm -hmm. an early knockout and some wild slugfest. You know, this is one of those fights where I really don't want to use either guy, but just the type of fight it sets up to be, you almost have to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you here. So Tafa is only UFC experience, you know, not a whole lot of film there. He has 
a little over two minutes of octagon time when he uh, was beaten by Jorgen de Castro. And um, I, I don't know. I like de Castro. I think he has a decent amount of potential. So I don't uh, necessarily discount him too much for that. But Tafa just four professional fights. You know, at least at least Juan Adams, the Kraken, great nickname for a heavyweight. Uh, nickname. Yes. <laughs> at least Juan Adams, you know, has, a hand, has the three UFC fights, a few fights before the UFC. He was on Contender Series. Then he has a series of amateur fights, too, if you check out his sure dog page. And, you know, kind of going back, he, he's lost two in a row, uh, Juan Adams has. The last one was to Greg Hardy, in which he employ, employed a strategy that I can understand, but it just didn't work out for him at all. He basically tried to go for a takedown, and Hardy stuffed the takedown in a way, and instead of, you know, getting up or giving up on the takedown, like, Adams kind of just, like, grabbed onto his ankle, and Hardy kept going with the ground and pound and landed, like, 20, 30 shots in a row, and the ref was finally like, okay, this fight's over, but then Adams pops back up and he's like, what the hell? You know, I'm fine. Obviously, you know, these, his shots weren't damaging. It was just a really, really weird fight in one where the fans are expecting, you know, maybe a little more from that. So, uh, that's what happened in the Hardy fight. He lost to Arjun Bouillard, um, who I don't have a ton of, um, uh, you know, a ton for in, in the, and the Bouillard fight was interesting because Bouillard took him down twice in that matchup, but Adams won the striking battle 81 to 41. And then of course in Milwaukee, he took, uh, he beat, uh, Chris De La Roca got 86 significant strikes, two takedowns of his own, four passes, and uh, got the third round finish with a knee here. So honestly, Juan Adams' his best uh, his best showing has been his debut, but I can see why he's the favorite here, just because we actually have something to go from. And I mean, the 7.32 significant strikes landed per minute in uh, actually a decent amount of UFC fight time is... Uh, is good stuff. So I'd feel pretty confident using Adams. Of course, you're going to have to pay up for him. 8,800 is no joke. Uh, of course, you're gonna, that basically means that you're going to have to sacrifice Jones or Shevchenko. There's no way. I mean, once you, if you get those three in there, then, then you're almost, uh, you're almost using, you either have to stack one of the top two or you can't have available, a viable legal lineup here. So yeah, I see why Adams is the favorite. I definitely want to get some exposure to him. I'd have more exposure to Adams than I would to Tafa, but I could see a 60 40 split in this situation because even though Tafa is a massive unknown, um, there's just not a lot out there to suggest that there's a ton, a ton separating these two fighters outside of a little bit of experience. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those fights where I think the UFC is just hoping to get a quick finish and some fireworks mm-hmm. to get the crowd pumped up for the co-main event and the main event. It's yeah. it's just it's a strange it's just it's really is it's a strange fight to have on the main card of a pay-per-view. It's really not the kind of fight you would even think would be like on the main card of like a fight pass card. You know, it's it's really it's just not a whole lot to go on. Yeah. I mean this could have just as easily been the second fight on the early ESPN plus non televised prelims given the amount of combined experience they have. And I bet you we're gonna see fighters on the undercard with a lot more combined experience. But again, I think the UFC is just rolling the dice, hoping for a firework. Uh we'll be hoping to do some knockout shots at my fight party and I think we're gonna get him there. But uh, let's move on here. Uh, featherweight matchup, Mursad Bektich against Dan Ige. Uh, Bektich 8,300, Ige 7,900. I'm wavering on my pick a little bit on this one. I'm just thinking about what I was going to do for staff picks, and I've definitely changed here a little bit. Uh, the odds to finish on this one are plus 120. So I think this one is actually a decent fight to get a piece of, regardless of what side you're on, because both fighters are very reasonably priced, and, uh, you know, one of them could possibly get a finish even though it's at the lower weight class but uh i guess how do you see this one playing out john this is actually a pretty interesting fight um i'm really interested to see 
what we get from Bectic here. Um, Bectic has for a long time been viewed as one of the sports really just elite prospects in any division. Um, he started off his UFC career hot, won his first four fights, but his last four has gone two and two. It's coming off a really tough knockout loss against Josh Emmett in July in Emmett's hometown of Sacramento. Um, he's Bectic's been up and down and he's kind of reached the point where, um, you know, youth isn't really an excuse anymore. He'll turn, 29 years old uh, next week on the 16th. So he's really running out of time um, to make an impact. His physical gifts are immense. He's one of those guys. He kind of reminds me of Jake Matthews, who's going to fight on the um, hooker uh, Felder card next month or later this month. Um, He looks like he looks like a million bucks and he looks like he should just be able to roll over opponents. And he did in the early part of his UFC career, but um, he's taken a step back lately. And I'm really interested to see how he fares here. Cause he's facing a pretty decent opponent. You know, Danegi is a good fighter. He's won four fights in a row, another product of uh, Dana White's contender series. And I ended up um, picking Bechtick. But this is one of those fights where Bechtick's going to have to show up. You know, he's not going to just go in and, you know, get his opponent to fold. He's going to have to, you know, physically win the fight. Um, Bechtick's also dealt with a bunch of injuries in the course of his career. He's been hurt. He's been inconsistent. And, um, you know, I think the salaries are about right here. You know, Bechtick is 8300 And that seems about in line given his physical gifts. And I kind of think this is this real. I ended up taking Bechtick, and I kind of think this is put up or shut up time for him. You know, this is a guy with immense physical gifts, but sooner or later you got to run off a winning streak. And um, I think he's really going to be in trouble moving forward if he doesn't figure out a way to win this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was a tough one. Originally, like when I saw this fight was announced and I jotted down my pick, I was going to be like. I don't whatever whatever it is you know the, the mental association I had I had a more positive view on Beckett than Ige and looking back though I think I flipped it over to Ige and that's the, that's the way I'm going to go here I mean the two physically age wise matchup pretty much identically and it's just it came down to a lot of it for me uh the inconsistency with Bektich. I mean lost to Josh Emmett in uh the first round in a fight I believe he was the favorite even though it wasn't the team alpha male stomping grounds and then the wins before that I mean Ricardo Lamas definitely kind of on the fading end of the featherweight decision and it was only a split decision over Ricardo Lamas and before that he beat someone named Godfredo Pepe and before that he got uh beat by Darren Elkins who is just pretty much an all-out brawler here so uh yeah, the the inconsistency is is there a little bit, and then you know on top of that, I was looking at just some of the uh, I don't know. There's a lot of sites there that that do uh, kind of adva- they they do different advanced metrics and uh, try to um, you know try to equate each fighter's resume and stack it up against each other, and there's stuff like that, and and some of that math actually leans in the direction of Ige as well, and a pretty sizable favorite for some of them that are projecting him as a, a 60% chance of victory or greater. So uh, that mixed with the fact that you can get more out of him in DraftKings. I, didn't, I couldn't find really any easy ways to work back to Chin at 8,300. So when it was all said and done, I think I got to roll Ige in this one. It's super close. It's probably the pick I'm least confident in out of all of the picks on the main card here. I think you might be able to say the same with Bektich, but uh, for me, it's Ige, and, and just because there's there's a lot of ways this could go, and we don't know which which Bektich is going to show up. Yeah, that's definitely an issue. He's been inconsistent, and uh, you know, Ige is is I, you know obviously he's cheaper. He's the better value. 
mm-hmm. at 7,900. And the Vegas odds are pretty close. Bechtick's minus 140. EA's plus 120. So, you know, that that's fairly close. I expect this to be a competitive fight. Um, I'm just kind of at the point where I wouldn't be shocked either way. But I, I just... I think this is really Bechtick's last chance to get on a roll. You know, mm-hmm. that you, he's not young anymore. He was when he entered the UFC, but he's not really young anymore. So, um, and I know he's been hurt, and I, I, you know, I know that's probably played a role in it, but, you know, he's been in the UFC for, we're going on six years. It'll be six years in April. So he's been with the company six years, and this will be his ninth fight with the company which you know isn't all that much he's fighting you know less than one and one and a half times a year so i'm interested to see you know he trains with tristar he's really talented but uh, if he doesn't show up ige can win this fight you know ige is not going to roll over and he's been hot lately yeah and i think we've had at least a little bit of money moving towards ige like that momentum since the uh since the preview was posted as i'm seeing him around Plus 105, plus 110 in some of these sports books that are, you know, across the country. So, uh, getting some momentum there, I think he's one of the guys you at least have to consider if going for an underdog pick. And, uh, you know, I like him enough to go ahead and make that pick here. But let's kick off the pay per view card with, uh, with a fight that just, uh, it makes me happy. I don't know what it is. It just it makes me really happy to see Derek Lewis uh, taking on Alir Latifi. Uh, of course, Lewis been around at heavyweight, dangerous heavyweight. Latifi spent most of his past few years at light heavyweight and will be moving up. And um, Lewis is going to have a size advantage and a power advantage for me. But uh, before we get too far into that, Lewis 9,000, Latifi 7,200. I want to find a way to get some Lewis in on DraftKings just because, uh, you know, that'll make rooting for him all the more exciting in this case. But uh, Lewis minus 245, favorite comeback on Latifi plus 205. I think all those marks are spot on. And most importantly, the odds to finish are minus 285. So uh, right up there with uh, Adams and Tafa in terms of likelihood of seeing somebody go to sleep here. But uh, yeah, minus 285, the odds to finish here. So you probably want to get a piece of this in some way, shape, or form. Are you with me on Lewis, John? Yeah, I am in a big way. Um, I think this whole thing sets up really well for Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. Lily Tifi, like you mentioned, is moving up from light heavyweight to heavyweight. Um, in general, as a rule, it's always, if possible, which it isn't always, but if at all possible, it's a good idea to try and avoid fighters who are moving up or down in a weight class. They're just a bunch of variables, so it's always good to give it a fight or two if you can. But um, Alir Latifi is 5-4 and four in his last nine fights. He has been knocked out in three of those four losses. I have really legitimate questions about his chin. I think it's probably his biggest weakness. He's it is seven career losses for the seven have come via knockout. Um, and Derek Lewis is maybe short of Francis Ngannou is probably the last guy you want to face. If you have a questionable chin, mm-hmm. um, I think the concern about Lewis is twofold. If there are, if there is any, um, the first one is obvious. Uh, he's really just a one dimensional power puncher. Um, that's always going to be an issue when he's tasked with facing better competition. Um, we saw what happened when he fought Daniel Cormier. Uh, the style's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Saw it happen when he fought Junior Dos Santos. Yeah, the, the style's not going to work against everybody. And we, you know, you under- And I think Lewis has already. You know, he's main evented cards. He's had a long successful career, and he's going to continue have a continue to have a successful career mm-hmm. because he's just so popular. Mm-hmm. He's you know he's not going anywhere. I mean his and Instagram's sport, hilarious. He's a fantastic interview. Any single time you catch him on Ariel's show or anyone else, oh, when you put a mic in front of him, it is uh, it is always golden, no matter what happens. So if you're with your friends is. watching this pay per view, 
and he does pull off the win, uh, turn the volume way up and get everybody else to you know shut the f up and then listen to what Derek Lewis has to say because y'all will be entertained. It definitely will, and I you know, but it's also imperative and it's on the UFC to book him correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an example of smart booking. Derek Lewis, you know, was born in New Orleans, but he fights out of Houston now. So he's going to have an insane hometown, uh, you know, advantage here. Mm-hmm. And I think this, a three round fight also obviously favors Lewis. There are questions about his cardio. So whenever there's a five round fight, you always were. And his cardio has actually gotten better. I think mm-hmm. since, when he first came to the company, he, Look, actually, it's not a sh- he looked pretty lean, actually, weighing in for the even off fight. And I mean, lean by Derek Lewis's standards, but it looked like he had actually been, you know, now that he's won a few of these fights, he's main evented a couple times, had a title shot, put some money in his pocket, you know, possibly the training, extra training that he can afford is uh, helping out because he did look pretty good in that it, physically heading into that even off fight. And he needed it because, you know. He couldn't put even off away, and and usually when that happens, you think he's going to come out on the losing end, but he took the victory. Yeah, and you know, it, you know, it should be mentioned he's not young. Derek Lewis will turn thirty five years of old, uh, thirty five years of age on this coming Friday, so you know, he's certainly on the back nine of, of his pro career. But if the UFC continues to book him correctly and doesn't make him fight, you know, uber athletic, you know, guys who will force him to do other something other than getting a brawl. You know, he can be successful. I think the biggest concern about Lewis now that I have, at least moving forward, not maybe not in this fight specifically, but in general, are just the injuries. You know, he's had a, he had a really bad back problem. You know, remember, I think it was the Francis Ngannou fight when it locked up on him and mm-hmm. neither man could do, you know, Ngannou just stood around. But Lewis really couldn't do anything because his back all of a sudden tightened up on him and he was hurt the whole fight. Um, so, you know, that's, and it, that is something to keep an eye on moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no evidence that that's an issue right now, but it's something to remember. But, um, yeah, I'm in on, like you, I'm in on Lewis in a major way here. I think this is a good matchup for him. Latifi, in addition to moving up in weight, um, is not the kind of fighter who makes his opposition, you know, work a lot. He doesn't make you move your feet. He, he kind of, he settles for what he's given, and um, I think any chance Latifi has to win this fight is going to have to be wrestling. Um, what it, I, His only ch- path to victory I see is getting a takedown and somehow taking his back and getting his neck and having that happen early when there hasn't been much sweat buildup and, and somehow getting Lewis to tap. That's the only way I think he could do it because he's not going to win a striking battle when he's five inches shorter with six-inch reach disadvantage, right? So that that's the only way I, I could see Latifi doing it, and I just don't think that's going to happen. No, no, I would certainly bet against that happening. And look, Latifi, he, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, powerful squat guy. He's not tall. He's 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 five foot eight. So he was like, mm-hmm. uh, he was really really undersized for light heavyweight. He's insanely undersized for heavyweight. Like mm-hmm. he's gonna be he's gonna be giving up at least you know four five six seven inches to every single guy he faces. Oh yeah, and he'll no turn thir- and, and he'll turn thirty. He's set to turn thirty seven mm-hmm. years of age at the end yeah. of July. So you know this is one of those moves where I don't know. I mean Latifi has lost lost Volkanovski. He lost Corey Anderson. So you know he was kind of just spinning his wheels at light at a uh, light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. 
maybe he saw a chance. They said, all right, well, here you go. You want to go off to heavyweight? You can get a Derek Lewis fight. You'll be on the main card of a pay-per-view. You know, who knows what, you know, who knows what went into that conversation. I'm but, guessing that came from both sides because, you know, he he probably figured, okay, you know, light heavyweight's over. There's nothing here for me, especially after these two losses to guys that are very, well, I guess considered top heavyweights in Anderson and Olsenmuir. So it's like now he's going to try something new. And you're right. You described him as squat. That's exactly what he is. He's a squat, burly guy. He's kind of like a like a slightly like almost like Yoel Romero, except the difference is Yoel Romero fights at uh, middleweight, and Latifi has like he doesn't really have a neck. <laughs> you know, he's got the, some of those giant back shoulder muscle type deal things, and uh, he, I mean he excels when he wrestles, and and that's what he's going to try to do. And if there's any case here, uh, the whole reason I thought of that whole path to victory in the beginning is because <laughs> Lewis's takedown defense is 53. percent But the problem is, is like Lewis in the past, he's had to cut to get to heavyweight too. Huge, huge, massive guy. Whereas Latifi's not really going to have to cut anything uh, to get here. Uh, so I think even if Latifi does get a takedown for the most part, Lewis is just going to be able to throw him off, or he's just going to like. Go ahead and stand back up, and Latifi won't be able to keep him down. So, uh, you know, for those reasons alone, and you mentioned the, the fading chin at light heavyweight, I think, and, and I hadn't even thought about this fight taking place in Houston and Derek Lewis getting the hometown crowd behind him. He is going to get a massive pop when he walks out. Once once we get through face the pain here, he's going to walk out, and he's going to get a huge pop from the crowd. I think that's going to energize him. Uh, this one is Lewis, and I'm suddenly finding a way to get Lewis in as many DraftKings lineups as I can. It's probably a good idea. I mean, look, Latifi wasn't the kind of guy who he wasn't. He didn't light the world on fire. Two hundred five pounds. Uh, you know, we used I always used to joke that there's he was part of that whole crew of light heavyweights who, you know, I called it the light heavyweight tournament. The guys who always fought each other and never accomplished anything. Him, Ovin St. Prue, John Vellante, Patrick Cummings. You know, for like three or four years, all these guys did was fight each other and. You know, no one really made any headway. Corey Anderson, I guess, finally broke away from that pack a little bit lately, but mm-hmm. the rest yeah. of them were just, you know, front, you know, five hundred up and down, win one, lose one, and like you said, you know, he probably just saw a set of circumstances to, you know, improve his status, take a shot. Look, he's got nothing to lose, so yeah. you might as well try. All right, for sure. So. We're on the same page there here. I think we're on the same page for pretty much most of these outside of that featherweight fight. But let's try to take a look at the whole card. Um, the prelims on this fight, um, there's not a ton that I'm crazy looking forward to. Uh, when I was posting the preview, I noticed that only two fights on the entire undercard, Giles Arroyo and Lingo Zalal, the very first fight, uh, they have plus money in the go-to-decision category. So I think... Vegas is expecting there to be a lot of decisions on the undercard. So theoretically, if you're making a DraftKings lineup, you want to make it heavy towards the pay-per-view. You want to make it heavy towards the ones that we just thought. But kind of looking at the whole fight roster here, um, you know, they got that $100,000 top prize on DraftKings. But I think there's only 11 fights when there's sometimes 13. There's not a ton of fights on this card. And so that pot's probably going to get split up and shared quite a bit. But anyway, you're trying to put together a whole lineup. You know, I was looking through odds value. Um, I mentioned Bautista. I mentioned Martinez. Those are guys that you can get for 76, 7,700 at only around plus 120 underdogs. So there's some odds value there. Anything that stood out for you as a possible upset or somebody that you might be able to get some value on? I mean, there wasn't a ton. I think Martinez was probably the one real name that that stuck out to me. Um, I really like Andrea Lee, but she's not. She's ninety two hundred. That that's a heavy price, you know. If you're talking Lewis, and then you start talking Shevchenko, and then you talk Lee, you know, you obviously aren't going to be able to use all of them. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a take your pick type thing. But Martinez was uh, the first one that I thought stood out. He's a young kid, just turned. Uh, will turn twenty six years of age in April. Texas native 
you know, I think he has some potential. Um, but you're right. After that, it, it gets kind of thin. I mean, I guess Journey Newsom's in the conversation. You know, that's a that's a decent salary. He's only eight thousand. Um, but yeah, there's not a ton. I think this is really kind of a uh, a heavyweight uh, heavyweight a uh, main car mm-hmm. things lineup. You know, maybe you know, maybe you throw a top Justin Toffee in there against one Adams at seventy four hundred to make the price work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can I can believe that. Yeah, I, it, it, the only it, two fighters on them. Yeah, I was gonna say go ahead. No, I was just saying I was say the only two fighters on the main card I probably would just totally avoid are Latifi and Chukagian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be willing to make you know I'd be willing to listen on pretty much any other anybody else, even the underdogs, if it fit your salary and what you know your lineup and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But Latifi and Chukagian are the two that I'd probably would just try and stay away from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking into uh, I was just kind of looking into Martinez a little bit while we were discussing this and. Uh, uh, he's someone that you know, seventy eight hundred. Uh, the the fight matrix Elo likes him to win, and the betting odds there are getting closer and closer to a pick 'em here. And of course, DraftKings you know can't change the salaries here after their release. So yeah, Jonathan Martinez. I'm seeing a minus one ten in some sports books, so it uh, it's getting pretty close. Minus one hundred five. He's barely plus money, and he might not be plus money by the time he goes on there. So you know you're gonna get a lot of the poker type odds value guys going on Martinez, but that's one way to help you uh, build a lineup and work in some of those favorites. Uh, I'm gonna keep tinkering around until I can find a way to get Derek Lewis back in there. Um, but anything else on the card, John? No, I mean it's look. It's anytime you got John Jones on a card, it's. It's worth watching. Obviously, he's one of the you know, certainly one of the great talents in the history of the sport. And you know, I think there's like some under under the radar interest here. Um, I think Lewis, just for sheer entertainment value in you know pay per view fight in his hometown Absolutely. or his adopted hometown, will be really entertaining. The Adams Tafa fight, you know, the downside is that no matter who wins, it's not that big a deal because they're both unknowns or whatever. But mm-hmm. it should be entertaining. I, I think. I think the real key to this card is the co-main event, the women's flyweight championship fight. If Shevchenko blows Trukayin out of the water like we expect her to when it's not competitive, I think there's a decent chance this whole card's just going to go down as like one of those one of those things where they just we just say, okay, well they put a second title fight on the card, you know, to appease everybody, and you know that's the end of it. But if Trukayin can somehow make it. You know, I don't. You know, I don't think. Certainly, we don't think she's going to win. But you know, if she can hang in there and maybe have a moment or two, I think that would make the whole card as a whole look that much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely right with you there. That would, yeah, that would, of course, for a degree of competitiveness, that would definitely uh, help things out quite a bit. And what you know could possibly be a snoozer in the co-main event, unless Shevchenko really comes out and dominates, which is what I think uh, most of us expect. But um, all right, well, thanks again, everyone, for listening to the Brotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Thank you very much, John, uh, for for joining me today. Uh, of course. Check out ESPN Plus. That is your exclusive home of UFC 247. Again, keep doing that. We're doing that promo. Get a free month of Rotowire if you're signing up for ESPN Plus for the first time. Only way you can watch Bones Jones on Saturday. Check John out on Twitter. That's at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto Jake. And uh, John, we'll be back with you guys all prior to UFC 248. And that's Israel Adesanya against Yoel Romero. <laughs>